BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Back in 1999, a young woman from South Carolina vanished. Seven years passed. She was presumed dead. Then a tip came in. He said, I think I found your girl, and she's alive. She's in New York. And I said, really? The detective on the case, he didn't buy it. He came to believe that he was dealing with an imposter. Who was this woman, really? Listen to Deep Cover wherever you get your podcasts. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, an ordinary man risks his life working with the FBI to stop a right-wing terror attack. We'll discuss the podcast, Truth and Lies, The Informant. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and yes, the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I just noticed that still, after all these years making jokes about it, I have not added that to the script. No. The whole thing about being the love of your life. It's optional. It just says, so the These Are Their Stories podcast, or as you said, the These Are Their Stories podcast. Yes. My husband, Kevin Flynn. My husband and consumer of my Blue Apron cooking, (laughs) Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, author of The Final Curtain, and Columbia State University graduate, Laura Bricker. (laughs) Hello, Laura. Hi, Rebecca. Yeah, I just got my degree in hydration therapy from (laughs) Columbia whatever university. You're getting very sleepy. So I actually saw... Do you have to read like The Great Gatsby to get that or something? I saw on Twitter, by the way, that like the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, like got his quote PhD from Columbia State University. From Dr. Yes. Dante, yes. That, that was in... Uh, that was in uh, Michael Hobbs' uh, show? If Books Could Kill. I haven't yeah. listened wow. to that episode yet, but that is wild. Think about all the people that have like based their entire like relationship game on that stupid fucking book. And that dude has a fake PhD. You know, I thought he said Columbia Valley University. So I, I think some there's a needs Columbia, to it, but State I did see that community college or something that I think it might even be in Kentucky. It's there's a legitimate Columbia something or other. But yeah, well, let's fat check it. That particular thing. Columbia but Southern. I think I we can know. all agree. I mean, well, maybe we can't all agree. I think that book is bullshit anyway. So anyway. Um, oh, it's horrendous. Yep. <laughs> and finally, our captain of all things cynical, fellow men are from Mars, women are from Venus, hater, author of the City Trilogy of Novels and host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby, and thanks for being an ally. Yeah, I'm 100% on board. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin, so this is obviously uh, Monday's Fine Podcast. Yeah. What is happening on Thursday's Crime Writers On? On Thursday, we'll be distributing our 400th episode. Shut the front <gasps> door. Yes. Really? Yes. How yeah. is that possible? I know it's fuzzy math. I don't know, but the th- computer says it's episode 400 or whatever. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Hulu three-part documentary, Stolen Youth. It's all about the so-called Sarah Lawrence cult. Why so-called? So, so Sarah Lawrence college cult. Yeah. 
I mean, sex it was cult. a cult. Yeah, and it's, well, I mean, we'll get into, like, what kind of cult it really was. And whether but it was Sarah Lawrence's fault. It's just something I wouldn't want to be in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm running it. I don't know. Yeah, so, what, so Kevin, when This American Life had their 500th episode, yeah. they basically did this, like, retrospective where they sat around and talked about, like, their favorite stuff. Yeah. So, like, when are we going to finally uh, do that? Well, 101 more episodes. I mean, we have, what the fuck? It's math. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of done that. It's like a year. I so probably in a year. year from now. We got a whole year to like sweat yep. this out. Yeah. The 250th episode was pretty good, but it was a lot of work. All right. Mm-hmm. So I see another note here on the script, Kevin. Yeah. It says, quote, announcement about commercial. What does that mean? Yeah, look, I mean, we have, <laughs> I am done apologizing for the fact that we have commercials in our podcast. No, that's how we get, that, dude, that's I how know, we like make our living. I know sometimes people say, oh, I like the way you did it before. Like, that's not a compliment. All right, well, we need to eat. Thank you. And I will say that I will have to apologize for this to one particular listener. Oh. Because sometimes ads get inserted and sometimes it's us and sometimes like in all the podcasts you listen to, literally listener, every single one, something gets inserted from a giant corporation. I must apologize to our listener who received a commercial from Clorox in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Vermont. Yes, he wasn't in Puerto Rico or Mexico or, and or he Barcelona. Wasn't mean about he it. wasn't. He was weirded out by it. No, he was just letting us know. Just let us know he wasn't angry about it. We reported it to the proper people, and they're like, that shouldn't wow. have happened. But occasionally weird stuff comes up, you yeah. know, and we just, every episode, tens of thousands of messages get inserted, yes. and, you know, what they, what it they, happens. What but they, we're not going to apologize for it. Just no. laugh at it. What they were trying to say, not that, like, there's anything wrong with a Clorox ad being in Spanish. No, but that, That's not supposed to be delivered to a listener in Vermont, is what yeah. they were trying to say. Like, Clorox ads in Spanish exists, and that's wonderful. That being said, the average listener in Vermont might be jarred when they get like our regular like Squarespace ad yeah. delivered by us. And then all of a sudden an, an ad, you know, in Spanish for Clorox, which they didn't expect. No es posible. Yes. Si es posible. Anyway, that happens. It's like it's like spinning the wheel of digital insertion. Right. Yeah. I think we got another hundred episodes to figure this shit out. What digital insertion? Yes. What are we talking about now? Okay, we're just gonna we're we're gonna oh, etch I'm a sorry. sketch. That? It's actually called dynamic insertion. Correct. Digital insertion okay. <laughs> does imply a whole other something thing. different. Speaking it was an earlier term. Yeah. Speaking of random and inappropriate product placement, I do have something that I would like to uh, correct the record on and bring up a little bit. All right. So last week and the week before and the week before that, we were talking about Lara Bricker's new addiction to Hint Water as the result of, and by the way, they are not a sponsor of this podcast yet. (laughs) (laughs) But Lara has been inadvertently drinking a listener's water that was mistakenly sent to her via an, mm-hmm. like an Amazon delivery or it was something. It's a big mystery why the, where this water she came from. She received a giant pallet of Hint water and she was talking on the show for a couple weeks about how much she loved it and she was handing it out to her neighbors and friends and drinking it. And I have famously or infamously talked on social media about how I hate water and don't drink it and how I think hydration is a bullshit concept, yada, yada, yada. A mysterious package arrived for us this week. <laughs> Which contained a 12-pack of Hint water. Yeah. Toby, did you not also get the same mysterious box? (laughs) I did. Yes. It turns out. Were they the same flavors? I feel like Benoit Blanc in the glass onion. Yes. It turns out (laughs) that it was our very own Laura Bricker uh, trying to indoctrinate us into the Hint water addiction community. And I have to say, I freaking love the Hint water. I really do. So Laura... (gasps) Oh, she's got it. Oh, my God. What flavor is that, Laura? She's pulled up a thing of water. Black cherry. I'm, Black a, wa- cherry. I'm a watermelon stand. The peach was nice. I am a yes, watermelon stand. Good. I'll tell you, there's the texture of it. There's something weird about the texture that I love. It does not feel like water. And the smell is like tricks you into not thinking you're drinking water. Yeah. Jesus. No, it's it's correct. I am a fan of the mango this week. You know, we made more money from Clorox in Spanish than, than hint water here. So listen, if you out there are an executive at this company and you're interested, I have now become an inadvertent water drinker thanks to your stupid product. And the and, many times we've talked about it on this stupid and, show. An inadvertent water drinker. So, okay. I'm, by the way, I'm never eating raisins. That shit is never happening. 
All I don't right. care. Again, everyone's like apropos of nothing. <laughs> raisins are always going to be non-consensual. <laughs> well, and they put it I in like, like chocolate. I like raisins. What? You like raisins? I, I have raisins with my granola and stuff. On purpose. Yeah, when texture. Toby makes his granola. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yep. Oh, God. How about raisins and Irish soda bread? Ew! Irish soda bread is a non-starter. Yeah. Non-starter. What about your grape nuts, Toby? Raisins in the grape nuts? No, I just, I really, the only thing I put raisins in is the granola, just because otherwise it's just like eating just nuts. Toby, the only acceptable raisin is a golden raisin. See, mm-hmm. and the only acceptable context is in a hot food, and the only acceptable context is when you know it's coming. A hot food? Yeah, like a like a like what hot food? I actually put those yellow raisins in uh, roasted carrots. I put yellow raisins in maple syrup with roasted carrots. Yeah. They're very good. What about like uh, ants on a log or something? What about like in the toilet of your dollhouse? <laughs> the actual fuck? <laughs> Toby just said that he likes to put raisins in the granola to make it taste better. You can't take something that tastes like shit and then add something that also tastes granola like is shit delicious. and makes it sound good. Granola is delicious and you My are a granola fan. Good. Actually, I I didn't say I, it made it taste better. It, it just it does the... Um, it breaks it up a little. Breaks it up. Yeah, otherwise it's just like you're just chomping on nuts. Yeah. So I it gives some it a little chips. nuts and oats. So you got a little something. Toby little, Ball little does not want to be texture. chomping on nuts. <laughs> For the record, I, yeah. Kevin is a Only granola balls. fan. As long as there's sweet yogurt under it, he's a granola fan. That's the thing I have. All, right. All right. Thus ends the cuisine section. Fucking A. <laughs> the non-sponsored cuisine section of this week's Crime Writers on Sunmade will never be a fucking sponsor <laughs> of the show. I will not allow it. Unless Toby wants to do the ad. I heard nothing through the grapevine. <laughs> I'll do the ad. <laughs> All right. Should we Give get me on? the copy. I'll should do it. Should we get on to the topic of this Monday's podcast? We're 10 minutes into this episode and we have Th- not this talked isn't, about This it. isn't the topic? No. It should be because it's been a crime. Oh. All right. Hi. Leading off. Let's drop that first clip right now. Here's the story of how hatred, white nationalism, and the spread of inflammatory rhetoric almost led to a horrific act of terrorism, one of the worst in our nation's history. Kansas resident Dan Day discovers his new friends belong to a militia group fixated on the Somali refugees in their community. That's when he's approached by the FBI, asking him to join the right-wing group and report on whether they're planning violence. They took me serious on this. Uh, They'd never heard of this guy. I was like, man, we need to watch this guy. He is going to do something. He is, he's dangerous. They believe me. When the informant learns the extremists are drawing up an attack on Muslims, the investigation takes on a new urgency. Dan finds himself in the middle of a plot in which the lives of many hang in the balance, including his own. He's flat on his back in a remote field, surrounded by militia members. He has an FBI recording device on him, and no control over what happens next. All the fears he'd had earlier come rushing back. If they find the device Dan fears, they might do something to him. ABC Audio's five-part podcast, Truth and Lies, The Informant, takes us inside the probe of extremists in the heartland and the ordinary guy thrust into the middle of the investigation. Host Dick Lair supplements interviews with residents, agents, and prosecutors with undercover audio tapes documenting the plans of a domestic terror attack. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Truth and Lies, The Informant. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up and thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, you felt like this podcast was probably the offshoot of what, a TV documentary? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm listening to it. And I, of course, I hear it's like ABC News, George Stephanopoulos Productions. And I'm like, okay, it's being told a lot of the verbiage sounds a lot like the way things are described in TV documentaries. And I kind of was like, it, it felt to me like, hey, we've got all these audio clips. Why don't we just do a podcast in addition to this TV show that we're probably making that we're getting all this information for? Because to me, I feel like it would have been more engaging in the TV version than it was in the audio version with the type of material they had. Kevin, we hear that Dick Lair also wrote a book about the story. Yeah. So what do you think about like this audio translation? Do you feel like it was a natural fit for a podcast? 
Well, I like the idea of this being a podcast, and you know, Laura's right, that some of this probably works better visually, and I mean, we know, and we're in the spoiler part here, we know that Dan Day has passed away, so it's probably not likely that they would have gotten him on video, and so to have somebody stand in for his voice, it's probably going to take away from the documentary. However, your question is about, essentially about Dick Lear, the host, I like his writing, it is though written for the page, it sounds an awful lot like, so not as conversational as somebody who's been writing for radio or for podcasting for you know a long time. I mean, but he literally did write the book on the case, so he is the expert. The tonal shift, so you know, might not have been as natural, but that's a small nit to pick, I think. Can I ask you about another small nit to pick? Yeah. Why does this podcast sound so canned? Like, why does the audio all sound so fuzzy and strange? I was kind of pissed that, you know, my friends were not telling me this, just thinking it was just a regular barbecue. And, you know, I bring my son and uh, and I get there and it's, it's more than that, you know. I'm not positive, but it sounds like some of it is done over Zoom or a similar thing. Certainly the audio with Dan, I think, may have been recorded before the idea of a podcast was ever done, and then he passed away before they could get him to a studio. Yeah. I, so I'm wondering if the audio we hear from Dan, which is important, was just recorded because they were part of his notes or his background or, or whatever, but it, it was not probably the final idea, specifically with Dan. You know, I just, it's hard to say in sort of this post pandemic world as stuff has been put together over the past couple of years, what you're able to get in person and the sacrifice you make for getting somebody, but it has to be remote. We in the, in the profession do this all the time and sort of take, you know, it's a trade-off. And so would you rather have something that sounds great and it's just three people or would you rather have five or six people give a fuller picture, but some of them sound like they're underwater? No, but to me, like everybody's tape sounded like filtered, so filtered. And so flat and so sh- and so like staticky. I didn't get that, but it's possible if the if the, the audio is coming from like it's they're just ripping the audio off of a TV tape and interview kind of like a raw video like. that's mastered and, yeah. and EQ'd in a different way, and that's will, that's possible. I will tell you the it's whole a different kind of microphone. Yeah, it could but be. I'll, I'll tell you the whole podcast sounded like that to me, not just the interview tape. The whole podcast sounded Including like Dick? it sounded it sounded uh, EQ'd in a very flat. Like in a, in a uh-huh. way that was very not audio friendly to me, yeah, okay. in a way that was like surprising to me. And I'm hoping that ABC Podcasts like shifts more to an audio first sound now that I know they have some like. I, by the like way, like NBC Laura, eventually did. But yeah. like Laura Mayer is now going to be, I guess, running like the ABC News podcast division uh, from you know Laura Mayer. So I'm hoping that maybe they make that sort of audio first shift. That's my hope. We well, can send her a postcard. Yes. Um, so Toby, one of the things that also struck me is this: this is a lot of suspenseful scenes and a lot of suspenseful situations in this podcast. And I found myself wondering, like, should I be feeling more suspense when I'm listening to the podcast? What about you? Did you feel like the suspenseful situations and the actual story were conveyed in a suspenseful way in the storytelling? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I uh, So one of the things that you know, sort of largely, they're not going to pull off this big terrorist attack because you haven't heard it. I think they even say that up front. <laughs> right. I, I agree with you. I didn't feel like scared necessarily for Dan in some of these situations where clearly I'm not sure if he's in danger, but there's the potential for him to be in danger. Uh, and there's, there's a scene where he's with Patrick, who's just a psychopath and Patrick, he's worried that Patrick is just going to start shooting these Somali women. So he's like grabbing his gun, like sort of, surreptitiously in case he needs to shoot Patrick to keep him from killing a bunch of people. Patrick had gripped his Glock and Dan could not just let Patrick kill these two innocent women. He started to reach discreetly for the gun he always carried. And that meant something because as we know, Dan doesn't take guns lightly. It's interesting because it's a tense, exciting scene. You could see if it was in uh, a movie or a television show or whatever. And, and I, I kind of felt it while I was listening to it, but I don't know if there was just having enough of an idea that Dan makes it through everything. Okay. Like there's not, there's just enough 
that you get either put up front or through the tone that you feel like, okay, this is going to work out. Like this, this plot gets foiled and they wouldn't be kind of putting it forward this way. If the main guy they have inside gets sacrificed in order to do this, like the tone would be quite different. Yeah. You know, I think that was one of the the frustrations for me with the podcast in general is you've got some great audio. You've got some sort of scenes that are very, very harrowing, but then does the whole thing add up to being like a really, really good podcast, which you would think when you sort of start putting all the elements out there and it just doesn't feel like it's not quite the sum of its parts, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't disagree with you. And I think part of it for me was there's a lack of complexity in a few situations. And some of them I want to talk about later with the surface treatment of potential entrapment, which I, I want to talk about in the in the back half. But also in the surface treatment of setting up Dan as a character uh, and as a, as a person, I think he's more complicated than the podcast sets him up to be. Obviously, he ends up being the hero of the story. I don't want to take away from that in any way, because clearly, like, the people who are the potential victims of him see them as the hero of the story. Clearly, he did a thing that was an extraordinary act by, like, any measure. But he did go to a three percenter barbecue. And that's like not a, th- a situation that most of us would have found ourselves at. And like those were his friends and part of his social network, like to begin with. It's not like he was strangers to these people. And I feel like the podcast sort of sets him up just as this like regular guy who just happens to listen to Alex Jones sometimes and disagrees. And I, I just feel like there's a complex a political complexity there that like The podcast just doesn't address at all. It doesn't really dig in a lot to like issues of race. It doesn't really dig into issues of like political landscape stuff. It's just sort of like good guy finds himself in a hard place. And I don't know. I just feel like it does Dan a disservice in a way. Like it's like it's just very flat to to do it that way. I don't know. It's just it's like there's something about it that to me took away from the suspense in that way. I don't know. One of the things that Laura, I, you go ahead, go ahead, Toby. Well, I was just saying, I, again, I, it's not like a super complex character, but I think the fact that they're showing somebody who is willing to kind of go down the rabbit hole on different conspiracies and stuff, but draws the line at violence. Yes. That is a person you don't run into a whole lot Correct. in, in media, right? When you hear about extremism, you're scared they're going to kill somebody or blow something up or whatever. In this case, it's like a guy who's like, yeah, I believe a lot of this stuff, but I'm not willing to kill people based on it. Or I just think killing people is wrong. So I don't want to do it. I I, I don't know. I I was kind of torn between thinking there was more to him and just thinking, well, you know, actually he's just this super conservative conspiracy guy who, just isn't down with killing people and that's fine. But I also agree that was also kind of whitewashed too. The fact that he was a conspiracist who wasn't willing to kill people. He's not a conspiracist. You don't think so? Well, he's into no. Alex Jones and stuff. Yeah, but he said he listened to Alex Jones and he shook his head and he disagreed with it. And he thought the crazy, uh, they said, okay, here's where I'm going to drop the clip to prove I'm right. He would even on occasion listen to Alex Jones's radio show. Dan would shake his head in disbelief at the things that came out of Jones's mouth conspiracy theories run amok. He remembered hearing Jones espouse the idea that the federal government was building a network of tunnels under Walmarts across Texas. I mean, he's, he heard all these conspiracies and he thought they were crazy. Just because you're exposed to them, he had a critical thought. Yeah. I don't know if I would like Dan. I don't know if I really had a lot in common with Dan. But just to say that, oh, well, he, he was conservative and, and he gun-carrying guy. He also that, ripped a poster off a library wall and felt the need to share it with oh, a bunch of white supremacists. Wh- no, he, <laughs> no, he shared it with a guy that he, a co-worker, he didn't know the guy was going to put it on Facebook. He didn't know, and he didn't know this whole thing was going to get spiraled. He didn't know what a three percenter was when he got to the thing. That's bullshit. Well, 100% that's, okay. bullshit. Well, you, we can't cross-examine Dan because he's that's in the true. hereafter. We but, can't, but but there's no way he could be in that world and not know what a three percenter was. Come on. There's a big sign in the front yard. Uh, Welcome three percenters. And I wasn't really sure what a three percenter was. To me, I, I thought of him sort of as this like unlikely hero, because regardless of what 
he was going into this, he spent a good amount of time putting himself in harm's way, putting himself in risky situations to do the right thing. And I think that is really interesting because to me, when I say he's unlikely, it's because you do hear about, you know, he's carries his gun and he's like, well, if you have a gun and you're carrying it, it's loaded. And you do hear about like some of his, you know, you're you're kind of in the Bible belt out there. He's very religious and you have to kind of think, I mean, for me, as I was thinking about it, and, and I did want to know more about him, but I was also thinking like, wow, the fact that this guy put so much on the line is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that. I was curious more about, you know, his background, but I, I mean, I also kind of liked that setup of how he's going to the barbecue and like out of work. And he's like, well, it's out of work. Money's tight. I've got a teenager. He eats a lot. I'll go to the barbecue. I liked the setup of like then what it looked like all of a sudden, like, and everyone there was like carrying. And the next thing you know, they're like pulling their guns out and waving them around as as they're talking. And so his realization that this was more than just a barbecue, you know, regardless of what his knowledge was about the three percenter movement and everything, I just thought that was a really interesting scene. That was one of the scenes that I actually kind of could visualize, whereas some of the others I felt like were pretty bland the way that they were described as the podcast went on. All right. So, Kevin, let's just interrupt this conversation for a second and do something that uh, isn't as controversial as our feelings about the way this podcast is presenting Dan. Let's do the business section, shall we? Yeah, let's have some business. (laughs) I've got some great news. What's that? So we're going to talk about what's available on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. Now you can get a trial membership to Patreon. Really? If you join us at the Brichter scale level, you can get 14-day free trial. What? You can listen to all the stuff we have on Patreon. That includes the after show, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Laura's Leave It to Bricker podcast, Married with Podcast, all that stuff. 14 days. If um, you don't like it, you can bow out or you can download all the stuff for those two weeks and we won't care. You can download all the stuff? It's a real loss leader for us, Kevin. I'm really excited about People this. People are going to stick around. But if you've been curious <laughs> about it, yeah, just... Go try us out for two weeks, and uh, we think you'll stick around. Wow, that's really exciting. It's because we got great content, like our latest Crime Writers on After Show. Which is about? Well, it's the 50th anniversary of an important, it's an important milestone for Gen Xers like us. Yep. 50 years ago, Schoolhouse Rock made its debut. Wow. And we're going to talk about maybe our favorite tunes and how it affected our learning and why we can't say the preamble to the Constitution without humming it in this uh, sort of... uh, Broke a uh, verse. Yes. We also have a new episode of Leave It to Bricker. Laura, tell us what's happening. Well, this is my first official investigation of 2023, taking place literally on New Year's Day 2023. I go inside the infamous Carousel Lounge and find out what's going on there. It's a New Year's Day um, investigation. It only took Laura a whole month. <laughs> To put the episode together. <laughs> so it's going to be super high quality, as wow. you know. Wow, oh, as always. Also, we're going to have a live taping <gasps> of Married With Podcast Can't right wait. before Valentine's Day. It's going to be February 13th. That's a Monday night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We'll take your questions about relationships, parenting. Work. Work. Relationships. Sex. Whatever you want to talk sex. about on Valentine's Day. Join us on Patreon. Weird can- sex stuff that we can't answer your questions about? Weird sex stuff? Yeah, not weird, but stuff we were like inexperienced in. <laughs> <laughs> Butt stuff, whatever. No, yeah. that's not weird. Nothing about it is weird. We just don't know. People ask us like polyamory questions. We're like, that sounds cool. We know. just don't know. <laughs> sounds okay. All that's available at patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. All right. So, Kevin, does that end the business section? That was a lot. Yes, it does. Sign up for our newsletter at crimewriterson.com. That ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. 10, 9, 8, 7, it's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. 6, 5, 4, come explore Melbourne and the beaches. 3, 2, 1, it's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. So, Kevin, what do you think about the profile of Garden City, Kansas that we get at the start of this podcast and the Muslim community and the Somali community that is settled there? Well, I think it's really interesting. I, I mean, again, another nit to pick. I don't know if I would start... With Ephra Ahmad and the plight of the Somalis, the Somali refugees in this particular community, and I'd probably just put it second, you know, not buried it, but I just feel like maybe that wasn't the way to start. You know, while it's not a podcast about like we're going to do a great deal of time looking at the social influences of American Muslims and right wing extremists, we do get that. We do get to hear from uh, Ephra. We get to hear political clips. We hear from activists and whatnot. It does cover that. But I would say, you know, as someone who personally would not want to move to a town that smells like cow poop, I think Ephra's affection for Garden City is, is very endearing. Well, it smells like cows and cow poop. I don't say that in a negative way. It's an agricultural town. Hey, the steak tastes good. <laughs> Laura, so we live in a place where there's uh, a big refugee and immigrant population and a lot of centers where people resettle, right? And isn't it interesting where some of these communities exist? It sounds like Garden City is a particularly vibrant example of one of these communities. Yeah. I mean, I first really got a sense of this when I was working as a defense investigator and there was a large Somali population in Manchester, New Hampshire. And that was an area that was sort of like a receiver community. And and then we've also got like, I think Lewiston, Maine is another one. And so I guess what sort of struck me about those two locations and now thinking about going to like Kansas is you're going to sort of rural areas. And, you know, I'm thinking about, and this is just, you know, having had to do a lot of the social work aspect of this when I was doing defense investigation, what services are out there and what resources are out there. And, and like, how do it's just, it's really interesting to me to, to think about how some of these communities respond. And in this case where we have garden city, you know, it was almost, I hate to say like the stereotypical reaction to people that were different than them coming into their community that really came to a head in this plot that Dan is is there, you know, helping to stop before it gets deadly, then what are the after effects of those populations coming into those communities? And, you know, sometimes negative, like we're seeing in this case where, you know, there was this really, I mean, the guy, the one that was like, I'm the Orkin man. I was like, oh, I hate that guy. Yeah. He thought <laughs> he was so guy. creative, right? Yeah. I'm like, dude, get with it. We've heard this before, but also shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah, that Patrick is a truly a, a frightening villain in this. And, you know, obviously he's a real person. So I hate, to, I hate to characterize real people as characters, but he truly is uh, a scary person. No, it is, it is interesting. I mean, in terms of setting up, like, the real stakes of the story, I mean, I th- do think it's good that they center some Somali voices in the story because I do think it is important to realize that there is a community at the center of this. We're not talking about you know, victims with a capital V. We're talking about human beings who feel safe, who feel like they've resettled, who have work, who have a community, who've made, you know, roots, who've run from something and who are living their lives and who are at risk. And I actually like the centering of those voices. Toby, you have a word in your notes that I kept thinking about over and over and over and over again when I was listening to this. And I'm 
frankly surprised to not see more of it and more of your notes, which is the word entrapment. <laughs> um, as much as I am completely disgusted by the plotting of this group of people to commit violence against this community, it did occur to me again and again and again that what Dan was sent in there to do is borderline in many ways, right? Like he's offering them resources that they didn't have. He's giving them ideas that the FBI's prodding. He's acting at the FBI's direction, going to meetings, recording things. He's gathering all this information, but he's also bringing in an undercover person to offer them weapons and stuff that they don't currently have to commit an attack that they maybe wouldn't do if they didn't have access to those weapons, right? So we hear the prosecutor later in this case talking about weapons of mass destruction and talking about what they would prosecute them with. We hear that same prosecutor saying he wants to reject this civil rights charge, except when he hears that the civil rights charge will help them bring in more evidence that we would not otherwise be able to bring in were it not for the civil rights charge. I just kept thinking about the civil rights implications for these defendants, even though I have a lot of really negative feelings about these defendants. Obviously, this is a very, very difficult and complicated situation because what the FBI is doing here is on the other side of the coin from what the FBI does to Muslims plotting attacks or to Muslims that they accuse of plotting attacks post 9-11 in many instances. I cannot help but think that, even though this attack plotting was obviously a an intentioned real thing. Yeah, so I think it's it's, it's a thin line, right? So they've got they've got to walk right up to it in order to get the evidence they need. But once you cross it, you know, you've blown your effort. So something like getting an FBI guy to show up with you know, weapons or, or whatever bomb making equipment or whatever. In some ways it seems as though if you're suggesting that we make bombs and I've got a guy who can set us up with stuff, that seems like one thing. If it's, we're going to make bombs, you're like, uh, okay, well let me get my buddy to show up and he'll provide the stuff. That seems like another thing because a, I don't think you want them getting bomb making stuff from other sources that right. are you're less able to control. So I think it's kind of like when you're running something like this, the other thing you don't want to have happen is for something bad to happen while you're trying to gather all your evidence together. Right. So you've got to control as much stuff as possible. So, yeah, I mean, the entrapment and part of it just comes through because they're constantly talking on this podcast about how oh we didn't want to entrap anybody. You know, we had to be very careful not to be getting to entrapment. It's like, okay, like you're obviously like talking about this so much that you're probably doing it a little bit. You know, it doesn't rise to as bad as some other stuff we've seen. But I think the fact that the people who are being entrapped at least from some point of view, are are far less sympathetic than than other stories that you hear. Doesn't mean they have different rights. It's a tough one. And I think, you know, the temptation to cross that line has got to be huge. You know, if you're just like closing in on these people who you think are dangerous, it's like, man, if we can just do this one thing, we can get them. I, I could see where that would be tempting. So yeah, I mean I th- I, I feel like that's a tension throughout the whole podcast, but not one that gets pushed back on a whole lot. That's it's mostly point, you just yes. hear from the side of the law enforcement saying, whoa, you know, we didn't, we didn't do anything to be entrapping. And there's nobody saying, well, dude, you know, actually like, it seems like you're at least pushing up against the border of that, you know, that's, that's, that's my point is that I'm not saying that like what happened here was right. I don't want to make like an editorial judgment. I would have loved that question to have been explored. In the I think it's a worthy question to explore, right? Because we're talking about the 2016 world, which exists in a post 9-11 world. And this is a law enforcement agency that has learned tactics from a post 9-11 world. And I don't think that I think that's a question worth exploring. And there was a lot of opportunity here that wasn't explored. Um, so, Kevin, what did you think about the undercover tapes that we hear in this podcast? Oh, look, well, OK, the audio quality is adequate, but I thought it was great because it did bring you inside you know, the planning and the plotting and then 
you know, to have Dan, you know, pass out in the middle. The fuck, that poor yeah. guy with recording device on him. Oh, my God. You could just see him. It's like a Sopranos thing. He's going to wake up and they're going to, like, loosen his clothes so he can breathe. What the fuck is this? And these you dudes know? were dummies. They didn't think to didn't You think know what did. the problem was, though, Rebecca, with him? What? what? He was dehydrated. He was dehydrated. Yes. <laughs> we do learn about water. that quite a lot. He needed some hidden water, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. And also, you know, you know, so you're giving this disclaimer at the beginning of each episode about you're going to hear some frank language and, you know, and some offensive language. And I think that they made a good point, And I agree that, you know, it was necessary. The people who are going to listen to this are smart, sophisticated. I thought there were words, worse words that I was going to hear come out of these guys mouths. But you get a sense of who they are by listening to their actual conversation. So this that was that was one of the better elements of the podcast was to have that evidence. No, I agree with you. I kept thinking we were going to hear more like racist language in the podcast. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, not that calling people cockroaches terrible. Is, is terrible, but there are, we know there are words. But once you hear it once, you've heard it. So yeah, like, yeah <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, no. some people like, you know, motherfucker this, motherfucker that, that's like disqualifying for them. And they're like, well, you obviously haven't listened to a couple of episodes of Crime Riders right. on. Because we will use those words. That's like TV people saying we're using this language because, or the January 6th committee people saying, okay, we're just going to play strong language. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Okay, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Truth and Lies, The Informant, the new podcast from ABC Audio? What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Truth and Lies, The Informant? Uh, I hate when I have to go first in these ones. So you always go first. You first. It's been <laughs> 399 episodes, Laura. <laughs> so I'm going to go thumbs sideways. And the only reason I'm going to go thumbs sideways instead of thumbs down. Um, so I, I feel like this podcast was not very imaginative in the way it was told. However, I have told several people about it this week because I think it's a topic that we need to be aware of that is happening out there in the current climate in our country right now. So that, you know, in itself, you know, it's like when we, obviously, Leah Satilli is the leader in this area, but this was a case I hadn't heard about. This is something happening in Kansas where you've got these extreme militia uh, right-wing folks that are, you know, trying to do something very violent. And I think that was really interesting. But so it's a thumb sideways. It's a thumb sideways almost to a thumbs down. But I just think, you know, for me, I think just that awareness factor of knowing what is happening in our country right now is really important. So that's why I'm not doing thumbs down. Toby Ball. Yeah, I the the host of this is uh, Dick Lair. He wrote a book called White Hot Hate. I bet you that's a pretty good book. Pretty interesting book. You know, I agree with a lot of what Laura said. I, I, I just kind of feel like it wasn't very imaginatively presented, you know, they, they left some things out that they could have put in, uh, sort of interrogating what was actually going on here. What were the, what were the feds doing and trying to take down, uh, this group of extremists, I, I think could have, could have been talked about a little bit more. Um, again, uh, Lars reading off my notes or something. Cause I was going to say, <laughs> imagine like, think about what Leah Satilli would have done with this same, you know, material. And I, I think that just kind of shows where this one comes up a little lacking. That being said, you know, some of the stuff they've got is really good. You know, the, the, some of the tape they have, the undercover tape, there's some scenes that are gen- genuinely harrowing. 
the sort of uh, hero of this, this guy, Dan Day, you know, he's, he at least comes across as being sort of an ordinary guy who's willing to really put a lot on the line to protect people who he, who he didn't know and didn't have much in common with, you know? So he, he's an interesting character. So yeah, I, I guess I'm a thumb sideways as, as well. I wanted to like it more than I did. I, I think there's a lot of good stuff here, but again, just lack of sort of imagination and, and maybe just a little bit of pushback on the, on this sort of smooth narrative that, that you end up getting. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs up. It's a slight thumbs up. The reporting is solid in the case, but the podcast itself is a little stuffy. It's narration heavy. I thought sonically it needed to breathe a little more. You know, I think like it really could have taken cues from Project Unibomb, which was very similar. But on the production side, it used sort of the dynamics and the pacing and like music to open it up. And so to tell it a a little better, you know, I guess it's a little text heavy it's really got like the fingerprints of commercial news over it where the style of non-commercial news seems to flourish in a podcast setting and you know that's because abc did it and it's a companion piece to a george stephanopoulos tv presentation and it's possible they shared resources but i I would just say that it's all very solid but it just doesn't sort of have a spark which is why it isn't a big thumbs up but I'm still going thumbs up on this. Yeah, I'm going thumbs down on this podcast for a pretty straightforward reason. Um, Although I hate the villains in this podcast and I believe that they probably are rightly imprisoned, this is very much of the vein of old school true crime, uh, believing the cops, believing the prosecutors and having no other narrative here. And I think that's extremely problematic. There are no explorations of potential deeper issues. It is a flat look where only cops are represented in the law enforcement narrative and only prosecution is is representative in the law enforcement narrative. And there is no other voice representative in this investigative narrative. And even though we can hear and know that the guys on tape here are bad guys, we should have learned by now that we should not be reporting crime stories in this simplistic and straightforward way with this lack of depth. Even Dan, who I think is a much more nuanced and complex and interesting character, I don't think he's done a great service here by just being portrayed this flatly as this regular, ordinary guy who stepped up. I think he's a much more complex and interesting person than this podcast gives him credit for just by his own journey, his own political journey, his own personal journey. There are pieces missing here. There are pieces about race missing here. There are pieces about government action missing here. There are pieces about the civil rights story missing here. And I absolutely am not saying that the outcome should be different. I am saying that the storytelling should have been deeper and that there should have been more. So if we were talking about a different set of defendants, we would be deeply dissatisfied by the storytelling in this podcast. So I cannot give it a thumbs up just because of the defendants that we're talking about. And I found myself thinking about that over and over and over again when I was listening. And, you know, it's competent, but can't give it a thumbs up. All right. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime of crime of the week, the week. A school official in suburban Chicago is accused of embezzling one and a half million dollars of, wait, what about chicken wings? <laughs> Authorities say food services director Vera Liddell had been placing unauthorized food orders since the beginning of their pandemic lunch pickup program. Instead of money, the employee allegedly embezzled 11,000 boxes of wings over the past two years. Kevin. This is a woman after my own heart. (laughs) The scheme was uncovered by a routine audit and verified by security video of Liddell picking up the food that never made it to the schools. Prosecutors say they don't know where a million bucks worth of chicken went. The school says it doesn't even serve wings to children because they contain bones. Oh. Panel, it seems like it was an all-you-can-eat buffet for school district employees. What else did they help themselves to? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, well, I'm thinking the Super Bowl's coming up, and here is a little tidbit I learned at some of the local Mexican restaurants. 
American cheese, which you can get at the school in those big giant blocks, yep. is a really good base for some queso dip for sure the is. Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Toby Ball? What else do these school employees help themselves to? Huge oil drums full of blue cheese. <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? Yeah, wet naps. (laughs) I love everything about all of this. And by the way, as someone who eats chicken wings four to five times a week, kind of on board with the scam. I hate to break it to all of you. All right, Laura Brooker, folks want to reach out to you and share with you their favorite queso recipes. How can they find you on social media? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toy Ball, folks want to reach out to you for Team Blue Cheese rather than Team Ranch. How can they find you on social media? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, if folks want to help you with your wet nap wipes, how can they find you on the social My media? My wet nap? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I please encourage you to join the incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Please join us there. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Try the trial. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very patient Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we wear our recording equipment on the outside of our clothes. Why? On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Leading off, let's drop that first clip right now. That first clip is sponsored by Indeed. (laughs) That's just for us, Livy. That first clip is sponsored by the Kansas Tourist Board. (laughs) That first clip is sponsored by Supercuts. Yeah.